Hello and welcome to the podcast for the 22nd Annual FIRST Conference in Miami, Florida, June 13th through 18th, 2010. This series of interviews highlights some of the key speakers and presenters at this year's event. For more information, please visit the conference site at conference.first.org. We now join our interview in progress. My guest today is Deputy Undersecretary Philip Reitinger. He is the Deputy Undersecretary for the Department of Homeland Security, National Protection and Programs Directorate. So, Phil, my first question is, is what is the National Protection and Programs Directorate, and what is, what is it trying to do for us? So, the National Protection and Programs Directorate is a part of DHS concerned with improving the security and resiliency of infrastructure and managing risk. It's got five different parts. Um, the one of most interest to your audience is probably cybersecurity and communications. So that's the, uh, the core functionality in the department to increase cybersecurity, to protect federal government cybersecurity, to work with the private sector, and also two other components, the national communication system, which is focused on what are called national security and emergency preparedness communications, making sure that you know, we can communicate in times of crisis, and the Office of Emergency Communications, which is focused on emergency communications, those sort of more tactical communications, um, emergency response communications that you would need to be able to respond to a crisis, perhaps in a more local way. So that's all cybersecurity and communications. The other parts are the Office of Infrastructure Protection, which is the part of DHS that works um, with the private sector and with all the critical infrastructure sectors in an all-hazards way to protect critical infrastructure. So you know, to work with, for example, the financial services sector or the electric power sector in an all-hazards way to ensure the security and resiliency of critical services. Um, we've also got the Federal Protective Service, which is a law enforcement component that uh, is concentrated on protecting federal facilities um, and investigating crimes that occur on those facilities. And then uh, also the risk management and analysis component, which works on risk management strategy, risk management practices throughout the department and generally, and U.S. Visit, um, which handles the biometric identification work for DHS and more broadly, um, things like the biometric database associated with the entry and exit of people from the United States. That's just a little bit of ground to cover, isn't it? It's, it's, a, it's a broad mission space. But your main focus is on the cybersecurity portion of this. In other words, you, you're really dealing with that communication, both governmental and um, private sector, for your main focus, correct? Secretary Napolitano has given me the task of working on cybersecurity issues, not only in NPPD, but across the department. So I'm both the deputy undersecretary in NPPD and primarily responsible within NTPD for overseeing the work of cybersecurity and communications. I also have another hat. I'm the director of the National Cybersecurity Center, which is a smaller group um, focused on helping to coordinate uh, across the U.S. government and drive common situational awareness for the U.S. government with regard to cyber activity. But 
I do have non-cyber roles, as, as you can expect. If you, when you're the deputy in an organization, it's my responsibility to assist the Undersecretary, Rand Mears, in his general execution of uh, responsibilities for the National Protection and Programs Directorate. So I stay busy. I can imagine it sounds very complicated. I mean, has your uh, you previously came from Microsoft, and and how has your previous roles in, in Microsoft helped you prepare for the the NPPD? Well, I, I think one learns things throughout your career. Uh, I I I've been in this space for a while. I started out and spent um, over ten years at the Department of Justice. Um, the biggest chunk of which was at the computer crime section. Um, so I was originally in that role as a cyber prosecutor um, and moved forward to be a deputy chief of that section. Then I went to the U.S. Department of Defense. Um, then I was at Microsoft for about six years and then came back into government as um, in my current role. I've, I've learned things um, in all of those different roles. You know, in my, my career for the last 15-plus um, years has been in – um, cybersecurity, working to you know, catch hackers and put them in jail, working to help secure U.S. government systems, working to investigate cybercrime, working to help secure systems, um, and now the role I have with DHS. And I, I, I've learned things in all of those different roles. Um, one of the things I've learned in particular is that this is not a sort of a government has one view, private industry has one view. There are p key people across the public and private sectors that are working to improve cybersecurity um, by playing roles in their space. And I think you know, it, it's amazing the way the community is coming together to work on these issues jointly. Well, I mean, really, security is such a, still such a, a immature field that uh, there, there's got to be some of that growth and, and change and then a coming back together so that we can at least get a baseline for what's, uh, what's really secure both in the, in the private and the uh, federal sectors. Young, I don't know that it's immature. There's a long way to go, and certainly we are by no means where we need to be. But the, the rate of progress um, and development of techniques, development of technology, development of ways to work together is pretty impressive. Um, of course, the difficulty is that much as the good guys, the, the people across the spectrum, and I noticed you, like, like me, are a CISSP, you're all these good people are coming together, but the bad guys uh, are coming together just as quickly and perhaps in some ways collaborating more readily than we do. So there's a significant challenge that we face going forward. Well, isn't that a primary role of, of your job is to help with that coordination effort between both businesses and, and government? Absolutely. And I think we've been making good progress. There's a long way to go. We just, uh, in October of last year, opened the National Cybersecurity Communications and Integrate, sorry, Cybersecurity and Communications Integration Center, which brought together our different operational centers in both the cybersecurity and communication spaces so that they could work together more effectively and bring in, over time, additional private sector expertise. We're also working um, and bringing forward new programs to work closely with people in the private sector and share actionable information, information that they can use to help secure their systems. Is this something that, that an individual can be contributing to in some way or shape, or is this something that it's, uh, it's really looking at businesses at the, the highest level for uh, their, their interaction? Well, everybody has a role to play, you know, down to the, you know, an individual end user who you know, works in some area completely unrelated to cybersecurity. You know, we've all got 
roles in, in securing our computers and protecting our families, much as people have to learn the rules of the road um, when they drive a car, people need to learn the simple steps that they need to take in order to keep their computers secure and safe and to protect their families. It's not that complicated, uh, but there are essential things that everybody has to do. So what's been your, your biggest challenge in the role so far? I think the, the biggest challenge is continuing to build the organization. There are some awesome people here, um, but we historically have not had enough of them. We've grown uh, the group substantially both before I came here and since I came here. Right now, um, over the last couple of years, people working cybersecurity within cybersecurity communications, we've doubled that number year over year. Um, and we've more than doubled the number of people that are in the United States Computer Emergency Readiness Team, or U.S. CERT. That's our, our cybersecurity ops center. We've more than doubled that in the last year, um, and we're trying to get it to nearly double it again by the end of the fiscal year. You work in this space, Martin, so you know that the bench is not as deep as we would all like. People are – it's hard to find the right people, people with the right level of expertise. And, of course, when we hire people, we're generally looking for people that we can get a, a high-level security clearance for, and that raises additional barriers. So continuing to bring those people on, get them trained, get them integrated in the organization, that's by far the biggest challenge. Oh, and that's that's one of the things I've heard before that that working in cybersecurity for the federal government, it's just it takes a lot to get somebody hired, and sometimes you don't pay as well as as a private sector, so it's that makes it even a little bit harder for you for you folks to get resources sometimes. Well, it's you know I think it's, it goes without saying that in a field like this, you can make more money in the private sector. The people who work for the U.S. government typically don't do it because they're getting rich. Um, they do it for a lot of different reasons, um, including that they, they feel a commitment to help their country. Um, they think they can make a difference, and in fact, they can. Um, one of the things, you know, I've spent over 15 years over the course of my career in the U.S. government, and it's amazing you know, the scope of responsibility you could have while still at a fairly junior position. Um, so the, the ability to make a difference, the ability to help your country um, in the United States or in whatever country you live, I think is is of importance to a lot of people. Yeah, I would hope it's of importance to more people than not. <laughs> um, I will tell you one thing. Just generally, I like to tell people that are thinking about going into this field, it's cool to be a geek. It's a lot of fun. I'd recommend it to anybody. Uh, you get all sorts of fun toys to play with, don't you? Well, it's not only fun toys. You get to make a difference. You can see immediate results. You know, it's I, I, it, it, I started programming when I was you know, long before I went to college, and I, you know, back during the mainframe era. And I remember, you know, sitting on the I forget I forget, I'm sure I think they were IBM machines where you know typing in the punch cards, um, and then turning the deck in so you could get your PL1 program to run and see if it worked right. And I. I've loved the technology ever since then, and I think a lot of people in this space, whether they've got formal degrees in computer security or computer science or whatever, just feel a passion for it. Um, and so I think we as a country and we as a, a global economy need to continue to drive that passion. I, I couldn't agree more. I don't think that uh, computer security in general is one of those careers you can have unless you've got that passion, unless you're trying hard to learn outside of, of what you do nine to five. It's just it it's not something somebody can do. Absolutely. What do you think has been your biggest success so far? You mentioned the, the cert growing so so quickly, but what other what other things that you think have been some of your big successes? Yeah, I think I 
mentioned what I would say that are a couple of the biggest successes. Opening up the NCIC, the National Cybersecurity Communications Integration Center, that was a big moment for us. Um, it's, a, it's a significant, um, well-resourced, uh, powerful operations center that we're going to continue to grow over time. And bringing the people on, that's, that's the other big thing I'd point to. Uh, there are a lot of things that I think we've moved forward on. I, when we had Cybersecurity Awareness Month in October of last year, it was by far the biggest one we've ever had. You know, we kicked off Cybersecurity Awareness Month with the Secretary of Homeland Security and the Deputy Secretary of Defense of the United States standing together on a, po on a podium and talking about the importance of this message. Going forward, earlier this year, um, I think a, a success for the entire community, uh, the U.S. government released on the same day two documents, the Quadrennial Defense Review and the Quadrennial Homeland Security Review. Um, and they're really interesting to look at because if you look at the Quadrennial Defense Review, which is the newest iteration in a strategy that they release every four years, cybersecurity was elevated um, as a core growing mission area for the Department of Defense. And in the Quadrennial Homeland Security Review, cybersecurity was identified as one of the top five substantive mission areas of the entire Homeland Security enterprise, not just DHS, but Homeland Security across the U.S. government. So you know, protecting cybersecurity is on a par um, in terms of mission space, with securing our borders. And I think that's a significant statement. It goes to show that you know, throughout the public and private sectors, we're actually continuing to raise the focus on this issue, and we'll see um, continuing focus and, and elevating efforts over time. Well, you also had, I mean, say, when I say you, I mean the, the government has now has Howard Schmidt at the, as the uh, White House cybersecurity advisor. Has that helped your case at all? Has that helped you or given you a line that maybe you can get to the president or get information that, that high? Well, I think it's critical to have um, someone of Howard's stature in the White House. But Howard has been in this space even longer than I have. He knows the players. He knows the issues. And this is an issue on which you want um, strong White House involvement because cybersecurity, a subject of critical importance, is of critical importance to multiple agencies. You know, the Department of Homeland Security plays a key role. The Department of Defense plays a key role. The Department of Commerce, um, both through its National Institute of Standards and Technology, uh, Standards and Technology, more generally plays a critical role. Internationally, the State Department plays an important role. So you need to bring all of these different agencies together. And, and we have been collaborating very effectively, but it's good to have a strong White House presence to keep the ball moving forward. Well, we don't really have a national law around cybersecurity. There's not a, a lot there, but we're starting to see more and more of the states incorporating business standards like PCI in state laws. Is that going to make your job easier or harder or just more of the same? I might, I might quibble with the question, Martin, to say we don't have a law around cybersecurity. We actually do have a bunch of them. Um, you know, there's the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. Um, now I get lawyery here. I apologize. 18 United States Code, Section 1030, that deals specifically with um, a whole variety of um, computer crime. It makes uh, a number of different types of activities illegal. Um, there are um, both laws and regulations that affect cybersecurity across the spectrum. Yeah, but for example, within DHS, we administer, both within the organization of which I'm the deputy, we administer the Chemical Facility Anti-Terrorism Standards um, Act, which is a, um, a risk-based regime um, that uh, requires chemical facilities, covered chemical facilities, 
to implement a set of um, risk-based performance standards, one of which relates to cybersecurity. So there's a, a variety of requirements um, that are levied with regard to either cybersecurity or preventing cybercrime. Now, I think we are going to see uh, an increasing focus going forward on setting of standards, saying, you know, as the field, to use your word earlier, matures, you know, as we can say more about what one should do or shouldn't do, we'll see those start to be instantiated in different requirements. Um, what I think is critical is you know, they are good requirements. We obviously would not want to have um, requirements that were too technology-specific, um, cause people to go in the wrong direction, or cause diffraction of resources. So you know, it's like many things. Standards, in some sense, are like metrics, right? Metrics, be, metrics drive activity. Good metrics drive good activity. Bad metrics drive bad activity. So uh, I don't know if there's a global answer to the question. We just need to move forward and make sure we do things in the right way. Well, I think that one of the reasons why many of the state governments are choosing something like PCI to build some of their their laws around is because that, that puts it back on the industry and makes the industry change their requirements quicker without the law having to change. Do you, do you think we're going to ever see something like that at the federal level? Well, like I said, I, you, there already are standards that exist at the federal level, and I think you know I think we will see. We've got within the federal government, we've got certain standards that have to be met under the Federal Information Standards Management Act, um, the the FISMA set of requirements, which are instantiated in um, some re some requirements from NIST, um, including uh, you know a Federal Information Processing Standard. So there are standards that exist that affect um, what the market needs to do. I think it's sort of a it's sort of a, a misconception that those don't exist already. I think we will see, you know, as I said before, a continuing increase of you know, standards, the right metrics in the space to make sure that we're moving the ball forward as far as we can. Well, what is your outlook on, on the security of the nation or the security of, of uh, the private sector as a whole? Do you think that we're doing better than we were five years ago? Do you think we still have a long ways to go? Um, don't let me put words in your mouth. <laughs> sure. Well, but I, I think you, have, you got it right. We're doing much better than we were. The threat environment is also continuing to increase. You know, as the good guys do a better job of securing their systems, on protecting them, on responding to incidents, the bad guys aren't sitting around saying, oh, geez, we're out of luck now. They're actually working on their techniques. They're sharing information. Um, they're coming up with new ways to compromise systems. The ball remains in our court, as you suggested in the question, to continue to move the ball forward. So we are doing better, but we got a long way to go. Now, you're going to be at the first conference, the Forum of Incident Response and Security Teams, and you're giving one of the keynotes. I think you're giving the first keynote, um, which is DHS Community-Based Defense Programs. Uh, what is this talk going to be about, and what, what are the listeners and what are the, the, the audience going to be able to, to gain from this presentation? Well, let, me, let me confess that we're still thinking through what the, what the title is going to be, but what I'm leaning towards talking about right now is – you know, talk a little bit about the environment we're in, um, what we see, um, what the threat environment looks like, and what we need to do in the space that we're in right now. But more importantly, what do we need to do going forward? Um, how do we make this ecosystem fundamentally more secure? How do we bring together efforts across the public and private spaces um, to make sure on a person-to-person -person level and on a machine-to-machine -machine level, um, we've got a fundamentally more secure ecosystem. You know, we live in a world right now where uh, if 
someone wants to compromise your system, there's a darn good chance that if they devote a sufficient amount of resources over a sufficient length of time that they're going to be able to do that. And you know, that's just not sustainable, not an environment where we depend on these devices, not just to you know, produce a document that we're going to send on or an email that we want to give a friend, but for our power, for our telephone, you know, to keep our food cold, uh, to make sure that we can, you know, get access to money and buy things. We just, we've got to build out a set of mechanisms that will be much more resilient, much more secure, and enable critical services to be delivered under any set of conditions. Uh, that's the good thing about having a little bit of time to prepare is you can always change it subtly to, uh, to include anything that's going on in the real world. So. Well, we don't lack for day-to-day um, -day events in cybersecurity that um, we need to think about. <laughs> no, there's there's def even in the, my small sector of it, in the the com PCI compliance sector, there's no no uh, lack of examples. I guess would be a good way of putting it. <laughs> Thanks for spending some time with me, Phil, and you have a great day. And I look forward to seeing you at uh, the first conference in June. Martin, I look forward to it also. Take care. Welcome. You've been listening to the podcast for the 22nd Annual First Conference in Miami, Florida, June 13th through 18th, 2010. Please visit the conference site at conference.first.org. For more information at me, about me, you can also visit www.mckeay.net. Thank you and have a good day. Initiating Shutdown Sequence.